This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today we're going to wrap up the series, which we're looking specifically at Matthew 7, um, by, by looking at kind of the last caveat that's in this. And so what I want to do is to go to the text and really kind of dive into that up front. And we're going to just kind of kick that off. Matthew 7, uh, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is Jesus speaking. Why, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give Dogs, what is sacred, don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So in week one, we looked at the very first verse out of this passage. Don't judge or you too will be judged. And, and we learned that, that judging is, is not like evaluating the fruit in somebody's lives. God, God wants us to think critically. Right? He wants us to be, to be smart about the way that we go through this world. It's not, not a, an excuse to kind of devoid ourselves of reason and judgment. Right? Judgment means to take the, the posture that only God can have, which is where God pronounces over us that, that that's disobedience. That's obe- you're going to heaven. You're going to hell. And, and obviously I know none of us have ever said of someone else they're doing that, they're going to hell. And Obviously that's sarcasm because that's so pervasive and popular. And what, what Jesus is saying, as one great commentator said, is that, that when we take on, on that attitude, what we're inviting is we're inviting the judgment of God into our own lives. Because what, what we're doing inevitably is we're not paying attention to the dynamic between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And so in that first week I told you what you could harbor against a brother doesn't compare to what God could hold against you. Right, so when we get so like, like bent over people and get offended by people, what, what's happened often is that we've, we've kind of displaced our understanding of the level of sin to which exists against us and our offense and sin against God. And so the story continues, don't judge. And then he kind of takes us to the carpentry shop. And this would have been familiar for Jesus. Jesus grew up with a father who was a carpenter. He's described in Mark 4 by his kind of hometown people as a carpenter. And then he begins to talk about, hey, you have a a plank in your eye. Why are you trying to get the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye? We we found out last week that the word plank literally means load-bearing beam. right? I mean, this is not just some, like, Splinter. I mean, this is massive, and it's running through this guy's face, and he's trying to help out somebody who's got a speck of sawdust. And the great commentator on the book, uh, Matthew Leon Morris, said, Jesus is drawing our attention to a curious feature of the human race in which a profound ignorance of oneself is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others, especially about 
their faults. It's as if Jesus is saying in this passage, you'll be tempted to, to try to cut things out of other people's lives. You'll be tempted to say, I see that speck of sawdust. Oh, I, I see you're struggling with your parenting. Oh, I see you're struggling financially. I, I see you, you're, you're struggling kind of personally and emotionally. And, and what Jesus is, is saying is, well, while you want to perform surgery on other people, you cut on you. This is where it starts, which is why you reverse two chapters in Matthew. Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, gouge it out, throw it away. If your hand offends you, cut it off, throw it away. Why? Because he's inviting us to see that our greatest opportunity begins with looking inside, seeing where we are, responding to the conviction of God, and then moving forward. While Jesus is using like hyperbole, right, which is, Kind of an over-exaggeration to make a point, which is why tomorrow morning, some of y'all are going to show up at work and say, I literally can't even, right? Which you can, okay? It's exaggeration. He's using some hyperbole. He's using the imagery of the carpenter shop, which was very familiar, right? What's One person has sawdust in their eye. The other has a plank in your eye. It, it, it seems as if Jesus is playing on us a little bit. He's baiting his audience to make a comparison between the two, right? Because we've never done that. We've never said, oh, oh, I, I mean, I know I got problems, but mine aren't that big. I mean, I know I got issues, but, but look at your, I mean, look at that. We, we'd never do that. A.B. Bruce is a great Christian theologian said this, the way we often exalt ourselves or make ourselves look good is by pointing out the obvious failures in others. And this is a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. I mean, isn't it easy to, to kind of hear Jesus tell this story and to say, well, I, I, I mean, I know I got some sawdust in my eye, but, but man, you got the plank. Isn't that real easy? I mean, I know, I got, I got some issue, but it's not, it's not as big as apparently what you have. I mean, everybody can see that. Everybody can see that plank running through your face. But have you ever got sawdust in your eye? Have you? Jesus would have gotten sawdust in his eye. He was a carpenter. He grew up cutting wood. He grew up planing out wood. He, he was making tables, making chairs, repairing roofs. I mean, this guy worked, and he's gotten sawdust. And you know what happens? You can't see when you have sawdust in your eye. You can't. I mean, every once in a while, I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I have like an eyelash that falls out, just a little eyelash, and it gets in my eye, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't. I mean, just my eyes watering. Everything's blurry. I can't. See. Just a little eyelash, much less like a spiky piece of wood that we would call sawdust. What's actually happening here is Jesus is making a point. Both of these people have issues. Both of them do. I mean, one's a plank, but the other ones are obviously got some sawdust in there. And what's this is kind of where the English translation of the story doesn't do it justice. In the, the Greek, the word that's used for, uh, for sawdust is the word karphos, which means literally like a, a twig. 
It would have referenced in their day and age, it would have referenced uh, the, the, either some straw or a chaff of wheat. I mean, this is a small stick and a big plank. And Jesus is making a point here that everyone suffers from spiritual blindness. Everyone suffers from spiritual blindness. We, we can't see everything. We don't, and now, now some of us are a little bit more mature, we're a little bit further down the road, we're, we got a little bit more like perspective maybe, but, but I don't care how mature you are, you don't see everything. I can remember my, my very first time going to counseling as a young man in ministry, my pastor thought it would be a good idea for me to go to counseling, and I didn't, so I wasn't real happy about being there. And I think my counselor knew that, who's still, honestly, you know, over a decade later, still my counselor is amazing, I love him. He's a good friend now. But he, I think he could tell I didn't want to be there. And he looked at me, and he, I, I've told this story privately to some of you. I don't think I've ever told it in here. Um, he held up a, a can of Diet Coke, and he, he looked at me and said, Kevin, what is this? And I was like, man, is this what it's going to be like? Because, I mean, I'm going to tell you it's a can of Diet Coke. Of, of course, it's a can of Diet Coke. I can see that. Everybody can see that, Steve. I know it's a can of Diet Coke. And he goes, that's right, you're right. It's a can of Diet Coke. How many grams of sodium are in this can of Diet Coke? It's like, man, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I like memorize nutrition labels? That's not my thing, man. Maybe it's somebody's thing, but it's not mine. You can see the nutrition label is facing you. It's not facing me. He goes, that's the point. That's why you're here. Because I can see some things you can't. We, we all, to some degree, suffer with issues of, of clarity. And we are easily offended when we cannot see clearly. We are so easily offended when we cannot see clearly. I'm going to give you three things that I think are going on in this story where it's really easy to get offended. Number one, it's easy to be offended when we focus on other people's sin. Isn't that kind of what's going on up front? You got a guy with a plank running through his eyes. There's, there's a, another guy that really has a, has a sm smaller issue. They both can't see. It would have been an odd carpentry shop to walk by. I don't know that I'd want to work in that one. All right. Guy's got a plank going through his Other guy's bent over, can't see from the sawdust in his. But the guy with the plank isn't worried about the plank. He's worried about the sawdust. You know, you're... Your enemy has a lot of different names, right? And if you were here last week, I told you this. Peter says that the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your, your enemy wants to take you out, wants to devour you, destroy what God wants to build in your life. But in Revelation chapter 12, your, your enemy is described differently. It's described as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Part, part of the strategy of the enemy of your soul is to get the eyes of your heart focused on the people around you and on their sin. To the point that you're not focused on yours. To the point that you're not saying, oh, I, I see my, no, like look at that and look at that and look at that and look at that. And this is not really... It, 
I'm not saying that we're not supposed to lovingly address sin. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew gives us instructions on how to do that. See, you, you can still address sin, but you always do so with truth and love. I, I love the way Warren Wearsby says this, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Can I, can I just, I need that simplified for me. Okay, so can I simplify that for you? Truth without love is mean. You, you want to know what people who don't want to come to church, who have had bad experience with Christians, more, more often than not, you want to know how, how we get described? Right there mean. Truth without love. I mean, do you know one of the names that Jesus was called was actually leveraged to him by other religious leaders? They said he's a, he's a friend of sinners, which meant that he actually hung out with people who were far away from God, who were making bad decisions, and he really actually hung out with them. He appeared to be their friend. Truth without love is, is mean. But love without truth is meaningless. We, we got to get to a point where in our relationships we can share truth, but not just for truth's sake. It, it, it's far too many of us just want to make a point, all right? And it's not about making a point. Really, we need to be in a place where we make a difference, and it's what love is what makes the difference. It's truth and love. It's so easy to be offended when you focus on other people's sin. It's easy to be offended when we compare our sin to other people. Oh, I, I, I mean, I got a speck of sawdust in mine. They obviously have a plank. Everybody can see it. I hear people at work talking about it. I know people in the community. I've even seen people post on Facebook about what, what they're going through. I know, I know other people see it. I, have, I have a, obviously have a small speck, not the plank. And what, it, what that is, is it's just dismissive. It's, it's us making some kind of comparison to say, I'm obviously not as bad as they are. Which is the eyes of our hearts being twisted. and Instead of seeing ourselves as the offender, we see other people around us. We compare. And when we compare, it is easy to get offended. Here's the other one. And I want to spend some time leaning just to explain this. It's easy to pick sides based on our limited perspectives. It's easy to pick sides. And I'm going I'm to show you how this leads, especially in our current climate, towards being offended. All right? It's easy to pick sides. What does limited perspective mean? It means that we can't see everything, right? We know that. Earlier, Leon Morris said part of the human condition is that we are ignorant. That we are often ignorant of ourselves. What does it mean to be ignorant? It means you don't know everything. And that's true for all of us. We don't know everything. You know what's actually true is the more people learn about something, the more they recognize they don't know 
everything about it. When you talk to somebody who's a researcher, a studier, somebody who's got a PhD in certain things, what you find is there's like a high level of humility. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know everything about that. Some of y'all have experienced it. You've been married for decades, and you're like, yeah, I don't know them. They still surprise me. Like, still, to this day, right, the more you get to know, the more you don't know. But our ignorance has in our culture postured us to we have to pick sides. And it is no more evident than it is right now. Oh, I'm for masks. No, I'm not for masks. I'm against masks. I'm for like personal liberty. Everybody should get to choose whether they have masks. I, I'm for vaccines. Right? I got vaccinated when I was a kid, and nobody got mad at me. But apparently I can get vaccinated today, and people will get mad at you. All right? I'm for vaccines. No, I'm, a, I'm against vaccines. You should, nobody should mandate for me and tell me what to do. You see that? Picking sides. So what's happened, right? These certain cultural moments come along, and what's happening is we're feeling a cultural pressure that i got to stand up and pick a side here. And it's nothing wrong with standing up for something. Believe me, I want God to convict you, and I want you to stand on your convictions. I'm not, I'm not backing down from the fact that God's going to lead us to certain convictions in life. And as believers, we have the courage to stand on them. But can I say something? Like, look at over the last year, everything that we've been through, just reverse field. Masks, vaccines, politics, right, an election, right, we got everything moving back. Black Lives Matter, police, like a pandemic, just roll through all of that. And you want to know what happens? The more that you are postured to pick a side and pick a side and pick a side and pick a side, the more the, the crowd that you're in just gets smaller. And somebody needs to hear this today. The more that you continue to pick sides and pick sides and pick sides, what's happening is you're isolating yourself and you're taking yourself away from what God designed you to live in, and that's unity. You don't have to pick sides. You don't have to. Okay, so like, show me how this doesn't work. Black Lives Matter, okay? That there's dignity in every race, especially in that statement, being able to say, hey, if I'm an African American, there's a dignity in my life. Black Lives Matter, okay? And then what happens is we go, well, if you say that, then you must be, this is what I call the implied against. You must be against police. Blue lives matter. And if I say blue lives matter, I'm against that? What? Why don't they both matter? Do you see the utter ignorance in that? We don't have to pick one side and say I'm against. I don't have to pick the other side and say I'm against. Like that is a posture from your enemy to get you isolated so that he can take you out while you're alone. And when someone stands up on a conviction, you don't have to be offended when somebody picks a side. You don't have to say, oh, they said everyone should wear masks. That means they're against me because I believe in personal liberty. 
No, what you don't know is that every time somebody stands up and takes a point, there's a story behind it. And what you might not know is they have a good friend who died from this like pandemic, this infectious disease that's spread around the world, and they're standing up and just saying something. This is from my perspective. You don't have to be offended by that. I mean, Jesus is drawing our attention in this story to the simple truth that we all have issues. Every one of us has something in our eye. Every one of us, me included. And the issue is, this is what Jesus is making the issue, what will you do with your issues? And the answer is so subtle that when most of us read it, we miss it. The answer is so, it's so buried into this understanding of the way Jesus sees the world that when we read through this story, it's so easy to miss it. And here it is. What do we do? We must learn to listen to the Father. We must learn to listen to the Father. That, now, I want you to pay attention. We're going to go back to the story as Jesus is telling it, Matthew 7, verse 4. And I want you to think, who's speaking? Who's speaking in this? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Who's speaking? It's the Father. It's the Father who's speaking. And it's the good Father, because if that were my two boys, I would have used language that could probably not be included in the Scriptures. It's a good father. And what does he say? All right, listen, you, you look like a hypocrite, okay? You got a plank running through your face. You're trying to pull out a piece of sawdust out of your brother's eye. No, no, first, get that out. Get it out. Deal with your own issue first, and then you will see clearly because your issue is keeping you from seeing clearly. Deal with your stuff, and then you can help out your brother. You know, one of the most empowering works of the Holy Spirit in our life is His conviction of our sin. When's the last time you prayed, God, convict me? God, would you please convict me? Would you just show up today, God, and show me how I'm blowing it? God, would you, would you really just reach down into my heart and, and kind of rip it open and show me the places that are ugly and broken and dirty and messed up so that I can deal with it? Like, that's a prayer many of us don't want to pray. And there are Bible verses that we, we love to memorize and we put them on our wall, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We, we love those, right? Like, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol verses, right? I'm going to give you one. And I, I really want you, I want you to take this, and I want you to print it out, put it on your mirror, put it on your dashboard, put it somewhere you'll see it regularly, and pray this over your life. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Think about what he says here. Look at this. Search me. Like, God, I'm open. 
Nothing's hidden. Right? Just Google search my inside, God. Just come on. Just anywhere you want to go. And when you get there, test it. Push against it. Bring the fire. God, I don't care what it takes to test it, but I don't want anything left behind in me that is offensive to you. I want you to see into me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And what happens when God's given the capacity to do that? He leads you into the way that is everlasting. It's opening to say, God, please come convict me. Please, I'm, I'm open to it. And here's what we do. When the Father's voice speaks to us and convicts us, respond to God's conviction with repentance. Respond to God's conviction with repentance. I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably going to hurt some of your feelings, okay? A lot of times we pray about stuff that's going on in our life, and we pray so that we can understand. God, I'm struggling in my marriage. Help me to God, just give me some, help me see it, God. Help me, God, I'm, I'm really struggling in my career. Help me, help me sit. We pray so that we can understand. God doesn't convict you so you'll get it. God convicts you so that you'll get out of it. He doesn't want to leave you there. He's not trying to let you just see it. He wants you to get out of it. He lets you see it so that you can get out of it. But far too many times for us, we get caught in that, that little bait that Satan has. The, the conviction of God comes and we start going, but, but no, I'm, I'm sawdust. They're the plank. Don't you remember when that person did that to me? Oh, they said that to me last week and then my mother-in-law, she did that. No, right, and we start, woo, throwing it all out there. Please listen to me. When you get to that moment, when everything around you, you just constantly say, I have this and I have this and I have this and there's this offense and there's this person that did. When that happens, the enemy is trying to distract you. The enemy is trying to get the eyes of your heart focused on other people and not on you. He's trying to shift the attention. And when we shift the attention to other people's sin, we're only deflecting the attention away from ours. And the invitation from the heart of God is to repent to repent. And I love the way Peter puts this in Acts 3. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Right, can I go back through that? I'm going to say it and then I'm going to go back through it. Repent then and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What's the, what's the directive? The directive first is to repent. This means when we recognize that there is sin in our lives, an apology is not enough. That's what we want to do. I'm sorry. That is not repentance. Repentance is directional. Repentance in the original language means to turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance is. All right. So what's the second thing? Repent and turn to God. All right, just ask yourself that question. When things aren't going well, where do you turn? Do you turn to your own strength? All right, do you turn to, I just got to find a book on this, a blog on this, a podcast on this. You turn to your mama, your dad, your best friend. You want to know why we turn to God? It's the very next thing 
that Peter says, God wipes out your sin. Repentance, when I turn away from it and I turn to God, God wipes out my sin. You want to know why you don't turn to your mom and daddy? Because your mom and daddy can't wipe out your sin. You don't turn to a blog or a podcast because they can't wipe out your sin. I don't turn to my best friend. I, don't tur- I turn to God because God alone has authority to wipe out my sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what happens after that? Times of refreshing come from the Lord. Please hear me. Just personal experience. The sweetest moves of God in my life have been preceded by very uncomfortable seasons of repentance. I mean, there have been times when I've been like, i got to schedule a coffee and a lunch and coffee and a lunch and coffee, and it'd be like weeks. And I just have to say, sit down. I'm, I need to repent. Uh, this happened, and, and I, I went to this thought, and, and I let myself get offended. I know you didn't do that. I know that's not your heart. I know you well enough to know that. But I let that grow in here. And I need you to forgive me. And I mean, it would be like conversation after conversation after conversation of that. And then what would happen? The Lord would just, just blow in. Times of refreshing. But you know, if you go back to this text, right, the, the, the whole thing begins because one brother wants to help another brother. He's got, got a plank going through his eye, but he wants to help the one with the sawdust. And so it, you can't wrap this up without just really leaning into what Jesus is showing us. And it's this, to help others when you're directed by the Holy Spirit to do so out of an overflow of compassion, grace, and mercy. Right, when we repent, right, we get the plank out of our own eye, we're then freed up to actually help other people. And it comes out of an overflow of compassion, grace, and mercy. This, this is the when and the how of this, right? The, the how is that I don't just show up to be judgmental. I'm not just here to make a point. I'm not just here to tell you you're getting it wrong. I'm here to make a difference. This is why if you ever go to a recovery program, like they don't have people who aren't familiar with that. Working with addicts, it's It's former recovered addicts who are counseling addicts. Why? Because they have compassion. They've been there. I sold my car for a hit. I've been there before. I left my family for my addiction. I know what it's like to be there. And when you've been through something, you got a little greater compassion for somebody who's going through the same thing. This is why... Mamas, those of you who have lost a pregnancy before, when you find out your friend's going through that, there's a, a compassion that comes over you for them. That's why, guys, when you find out your friend has lost a job and you've lost a job, there's a level of compassion that wells up for them. We, we've been there. But think about the when. When do we help? You know, Jesus walked by hundreds of crippled, but only healed a few. Jesus encountered dozens of blind people, but only ministered to a few. Jesus literally walked by thousands of lost people, but he only sat down and had dinner with just a few. For Jesus, 
How did he know when? And he's already answered this in Scripture. In John 5, he says this. Look at this. The Son can do nothing by himself. Let me just say, I hope one day that becomes one of your mantras. I hope that one day you get to a point when you look at your own heart, you look at your own life, and you say, I can do nothing without the Father. I can't. I'm not going to be good here. I'm not going to be good there. This ain't going to work. This ain't. I'm not going to be able to do it if the Father doesn't show up and do it through me. I can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Let me translate this. Jesus is saying, hey, when I showed up, I saw the Father at work in that situation already, and He invited me into it. When I showed up, I saw God already at work in that blind man, in that cripple, and I knew that God had invited me into that. And what's interesting is, is so we've read this every week for this series, right? The, the end of this teaching, when Jesus says, don't give sacred things to dogs, don't give pearls to pigs, because what do they do? They trample them, and then they might even turn on you. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about this. Like there are some people that if you try to give what God has put in you, they will not recognize it for what it is. They won't see it as help. Go back. What did we say? Listen to the Father. And when we try to help and it's our own mission. It's not God's mission. What's happening is we're taking the sacred things, throwing them to dogs. We're taking the pearls of wisdom, throwing them to pigs. And what do they do? They trample them. They don't know they're valuable. And they might even turn on you. Now, I love that many of you have a heart to help. But please listen to this. We will be most helpful when we are most obedient. God will use you to help others when you cultivate the ability in your own life to hear the voice of the Father and listen to Him. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.